What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy Friday. We're ready to rock and roll today. Uh, I got a, a different type of show for you guys today. Cobblestone trade. What is that about? Let's find out. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. What up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy Friday. Greg Howlett is my guest today. We're going to be talking about cobblestone trade. Greg Welcome to the program. <laughs> Got to give you a little round of applause. That's how we work. <laughs> Very impressive. Very. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Greg. Uh, you know, I normally have James who who drops a nice super intro for you, but since we don't have him, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Cobblestone Trade is really a, a way for companies to outsource e-commerce. Because the big news about e-commerce is it's hard. It's a lot harder than you think, a lot harder than the gurus say. Uh, if you get on Google and start uh, Googling internet marketing, it's just a difficult thing. So basically, we, we find there's a lot of companies out there that have a great product. They want to focus on the manufacturing and they really don't have the resources or the expertise to do e-commerce. So that's where we step in. We basically take all the aspects of e-commerce off their plate from fulfillment to um, customer service, warehousing, shipping, all the boring things that happen behind the scenes. Wait, Greg, <clears throat> you're trying to tell me that all I have to do, according to what I see online, is create a nice little Facebook ad, drop an affiliate link, and I'm rolling. Or I can drop ship my stuff, and I'm good to go. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? There's all kinds of trouble in e-commerce. It's got to be – everybody says it's super easy. Yeah, it was easy back in 1998 when I got started. Uh, it was very easy. And uh, a monkey can make money on the Internet in 1998, but it's a little harder now. Uh, it's actually very hard. Is it because uh, so, of like saturation? Is it because there's so many people doing it, or what? What <laughs> what becomes a difficult part? Well, I think um, there's there's a couple aspects. First of all, saturation is a big big deal. Um, everybody's on because there's very little little barrier of entry, um, so anybody can be on. Um, it really doesn't, you know, take a lot of money or a lot of expertise to get a website up or to list a bunch of crap on Amazon. Um, it doesn't take a lot of effort. You can do it. Uh, the problem is if there's a lot of uh, there's a low barrier to entry, you have a lot of competition. So it is it is oversaturated. But also the market has just gotten very mature. It's not like it was um, nowadays. You just have a lot of it's, it's complex. There's there's a lot to it. Um, one of the most complex systems I know of in the world is Google AdWords. Mm -hmm. Enormously complicated. And it's come so far in the 20 years, 22 years since I started. Um, it's just not easy. So I've tried to simplify the process as best I can. Uh, I'm, I'm the type of person who an idea, idea will pop into my head and I want to kind of like roll with it. And what stopped me before in the past has always been um, developing the website, developing that sort of stuff. Because I never knew how to write code. I couldn't create a website. I was always limited to that sort of thing. Then I got introduced to this uh, guy named Russell Brunson and his whole ClickFunnels thing. And it allowed me to create, like you said, the barrier of entry super low. Um, but I also learned from him that the problem with that, because everybody can sell a product like you were describing, 
it really takes a hit on the uh the price that we're that we're competing at and now it's it's a race to the bottom and because it's a race to the bottom your margins are so low because your margins are so low you don't really make any real money and it doesn't become a a, a company that you can really sustainably grow uh what are you guys doing a little bit different there to avoid that race to the bottom as far as pricing is concerned when it comes to products well, the, the, really, the only way to beat that, well, exactly what you're saying, because you are competing with, for example, you can go on Amazon. Most of Amazon now, third-party sellers is, are um, overseas sellers, and the standard of living is different there. They don't have to make as much money, so the margins just shrink and shrink and shrink. And if you're going to play that game, you're going to lose, or you're going to make no, almost no money. Um, you know, your margins will shrink, shrink, shrink. Um, in the end of the day, there's no money there. Uh, the only way to win um, is is to have is to focus on brand. Uh, you have to have a brand that you can you can um, you can get a fair price for. And so, if you're competing on quality, so in other words, you have a brand, people are looking for your product and willing to pay a premium. All of a sudden, all of that margin shrinkage sort of disappears because obviously there are people that will pay for a Lexus, even though you can buy mm -hmm. a Honda Fit for. $80,000 less. Well, so my understanding as I started to do my research on, you know, being able to sell online and learning that whole process, if you can't be the cheapest around, then you should probably be the most expensive around. And we, and, and that kind of took a whole different approach. I was like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean be the most expensive around? And it came down to being able to group a particular product or service like you know think about your ideal avatar your ideal customer what is it that they're looking for if you can provide them with everything that they need what would that package look like and then present it in a way that uh that is showing them the value of what you're offering why the price value is where it's at so you're not selling at the lowest point anymore now you're selling at a total value point and I'm imagining when you're creating a website for your products and services, when you're creating something for for people who are in the business of production, not so much in the business of e-commerce, you're kind of working an angle similar to that to help them avoid that pricing structure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, if you go out and you start looking, for example, and I guess I can sort of break this down, you know, the average, let's say a company has a good brand. Mm -hmm. They've established a good off. Off, off internet, uh, brick and mortar type of, of business, and they want to come online. They have a couple of options. You could come out and sort and compete with the competition. Um, and what you'd end up with is you would end up with a bunch of people knocking you off because the reality is almost anybody from their bedroom can go to Alibaba and these other websites and source product. They can compete. Intellectual property is not really a big thing in other countries. And so there's all this um, knocking off that's going to happen and you will end up in trouble. Um, so, yeah, in the end of the day, you have to focus on a brand and hold your price. Be willing to um, to be out there with with a fair price where your margin is preserved. If there's no margin, th there really isn't any money. Uh, and that's how it goes at the end of the day.
So let me, let me let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, there's so much going on in the world today. So many different issues, especially the tensions right now with China are really high. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of issues with. First of all, it started with the origin of COVID, that sort of stuff, right? Uh, and and now as of late, we're having uh, embassies start to shut down. Uh, you know, we in the U.S. we shut down a Chinese embassy in Houston, uh, and then I read today that that the Chinese shut down a U.S. embassy. Uh, I forgot the name of the city, but over there in retaliation and we get so many products like you were saying from overseas there's so much production coming in from china there's so much production coming in from all these different places how is that going to affect or what do you what do you see in the e-commerce trade uh industry as as that being uh, a factor in in uh in sales basically in, in production or being able to come up with product well it's it's a big deal it's um without pointing too many fingers, it's, it's just clear that if, if a company is going to develop a product, they have all this money invested in R and D and they get the product to market and they have a, a, you know, a real margin where they can make money. And then the technology or the idea is stolen. Um, it's, it's, it's obvious that that's going to put a lot of damper on R and D in the United States. It's going to make it hard for companies that fairly are getting out there and innovating to make money. Uh, and by the way, it's not just happening overseas. There's an article in the wall street journal just today, how Amazon has been accused of doing the same thing because you know, their third party sellers can pile onto Amazon with great products, but you've probably noticed that Amazon comes out with their own brand sometimes. Mm. And so there's a lot of accusations flying against Amazon where Amazon you know, will bring in innovative companies, look at their products, and then possibly they've been accused at least of turning around and developing their own knockoff, um, which obviously creates a lot of problem as well. So none of these things are good, whether it's outside the country or inside the country, um, is part of business, but the internet's made it worse um, because it's so easy now to source. Again, anybody can do it. It's, it's that, really, really easy for anybody to do it. That rebranding has been around for a long time. I, re I mean, I remember being a kid and going to the cereal aisle, and I wanted that name brand cereal, right? I wanted my Fruit Loops, or I wanted my Fruity Pebbles, or something like that. And, you know, I grew up where we didn't have a lot of money, and so we didn't get Fruity Pebbles. We got whatever that store brand was that looked just like the Fruity Pebbles, but when you put it in your bowl, you knew damn well that that wasn't Fruity Pebbles. It had that little different taste, right? So yeah. those, those were the, the knockoff situation has been around for quite some time. It's not anything new. You go to Walmart and they have that great value brand, right? You go to Costco and they have their, uh, I forgot what Costco's brand was, um, their uh, Kirkland brand, right? And it's, it's, it's not anything new that we repurpose stuff. But what you're talking about is a little bit different, right? Where they're doing it as a more like a white label type thing. You're talking about straight, you know, people ripping off and manufacturing things that uh, essentially look like the product that you're trying to get, but aren't. Yeah, well, that's ca yeah, counterfeiting and, and third party. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, you're talking about sort of generics, which we know we've had generics in the in the grocery aisle and everywhere else uh, forever. Um, but today. Um, it's probably a little more prevalent because you are dealing with other countries that don't have intellectual property support that we have maybe in the United States. And, um, and there's a lot going on again in the U S I'm not trying to pick on um, all these different countries, but it is a big problem online. Um, it's one of many problems. There's gray market problems and, um, 
diversion. And there's all these things that companies really deal with just to preserve margin, even if they are the only ones in a space. For example, to give you an example, uh, let's say a, um, a company creates a product here in the U.S. They have a great margin on Amazon, but they decide, OK, I'm going to ship this to, I don't know, uh, Indonesia. They don't have as much money in Indonesia, so we're going to charge a less price for it. So they ship it cheaper to Indonesia. And then maybe a rogue distributor in Indonesia ships it back in the U.S. at a low price. So now you have rogue distributors in the U.S. that are undercutting the real authorized distributors and putting that on Amazon. And so you have all this these kinds of things that are happening that depress margin. Um, it's just it's a lot different, I think, today uh, because it is a worldwide uh, a problem. It's not it's not as small. It's not as small as it was perhaps 20 years ago in the cereal aisle. Well, I think the, the one of the main reasons that uh, Amazon is, for example, an unfair competitor is because they have the ability to drive traffic to their quote unquote, you know, bestseller, right? So they're sure. their knockoff product. Um, but the other side is there's there's customer ratings that are on there too. So you might have a knockoff product that you know is crap. Like Wish, for example. Wish is one of those things where it looks really good on the advertising, and then when you get it, you're like, this thing is like four times too small, or you know, the product doesn't have as good quality, and you're able to rate a lot of these products. I mean, I'll give you a, a case in point. When I first got into this whole, you know, creating content space, I went and got uh, went online and I grabbed the video camera. Now I didn't know any anything about video camera. So I went straight price filter, right? And I found a video camera. I ordered it. It came in and the sound was horrible. It, you know, I, it was, it was totally staticky and fuzzy. You couldn't make out what the sound was. So I shipped it back and I left the bad review. Um, and then I got a call from that company or an email, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly, but they called me back and they're like, Hey, we really would like you to change that review to something positive to do that. We'll send you a free camera. And so they sent me a free camera and now it's not the greatest camera in the world, but it does have, you know, it, you can actually make out what the sound says and you know, it does record. <laughs> so it's a camera, but they sent it for free to kind of fix that negative review. So I went in, changed my review and, and my review changed to, you know, they did reach out, the company reached out and fixed the situation. Um, and those rankings uh, I don't know about you, but for me, when I look at a product and I know I don't recognize the brand, the rankings tell me a lot. The reviews tell me a lot. I know, you know, how many five star reviews or how many three star reviews. And it really helps to determine whether that's the product I want to go with or do I go to another product? Yeah, sure. I, but you got to understand, too, there's a lot of fraud in that world of reviews, right? Because competitors will pile on each other. Um, it's a big thing, a big problem. Amazon is very aware of it, but uh Obviously, if a competitor is starting to dominate a market, another competitor might think, okay, well, maybe I just buy the product and leave a few, maybe it's dangerous, it caught on fire type of reviews. Mm. And so that's a big deal, uh, fraudulent reviews. So I'm not trying to rain on your review parade. <laughs> Oh no no! Right. I'm I'm just yeah. I'm just using it as a metric, you know, to de yeah. to help determine whether a product is is something that that is of value or not. I, I do it with audiobooks as well. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I look at the audiobooks, and before I decide that this is a new book, if it doesn't come referred by somebody, right? I look at the reviews. I'm like, okay, well, what are people saying about this particular book? Uh, and and it kind of helps judge that uh, the quality of that particular product. I'm just kind of you know dabbling in this whole e-commerce space, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes on, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you can do the same 
same thing with Instagram followers for for anybody who wants to be an influencer. You could just buy the followers if you wanted to, or you know, you could do the same thing with podcasts. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there that jump to number one, and then you find out, well, actually, nobody really listens. That was an inflated number, but it, you know, you can always do that. Um, but but at the same time, I think you know, over over time, as you see more and more reviews of a particular product, it would help. It helps me at least determine whether or not I'm going to give that thing a shot. Sure. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, so tell me about the process with with cobblestone. I want to know, you know, if 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 I have a product or service that I want to take to market, what's that process like? Well, we we talk to you about where you want to go with it. There's obviously online right now. There's we call them channels. Um, the biggest channel, unfortunately, by far, is Amazon, which is 50 percent right now of e-commerce in the United States. Um, websites are still very, very important. And then there's a whole smattering of other channels like Walmart and Jet and even places like eBay, for example. Why would you say unfortunately? I'm curious. Well, Amazon, I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to be – I, I it, I it's okay. It's a, an opinion's an opinion. It's okay. <laughs> I hundred percent. You know, there's a lot of people I tell them I go to Costco and they're like, "Oh no, Costco sucks." I go to Sam's Club and people I go to Sam's Club they'll say the same thing. Oh no, Sam's Club's horrible. I go to Costco. So it's okay. It's an opinion. Yeah, I'm a capitalist. <laughs> I really am a capitalist. But sometimes I really do feel that Amazon has 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 is just a little bit too big, um, mm-hmm. or in, dabbling in too many areas, and um, it's. It's becoming dominant to the point where I think it's a problem. I hate to uh, be be very dogmatic on it, but I do think it's a problem when they're controlling basically everything from retail back to um, manufacturing. And r- really now, I mean, what are they not in? They're shipping. You, well, they I, ship. I, you know, in that sense, I don't disagree with you. There's reasons why, you know, monopolies are, you know, there we have laws against monopolies because of that sort of same factor, right? I mean, For once sure. you start controlling, I mean, I, I heard a statistic and I don't know how far back this was. It's probably more now, but half the homes in the U.S. are an Amazon Prime member. I mean, that's a lot of data going through. So the huge conglomerates like that, you're, you're absolutely right. You take you sweep out the competitive nature of anybody else who's trying to get into the space. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult for a lot of sellers. A lot of sellers run to Amazon because they are 50% of the market. So a lot of sellers are going to pile their products on Amazon. And then, frankly, they get screwed. <laughs> Amazon mm-hmm. either steals their ideas or I, I say allegedly. Let me use the word allegedly. But that article in um, Wall Street Journal today is a good example. Um but uh, Amazon might take their ideas. They may just. I, I have friends, for example, that have done well on Amazon and woke up one day, and Amazon has just confiscated money um, in their account, a hundred thousand dollars, because maybe somebody did leave a few bad reviews, or somebody accused them of counterfeiting, or all these things. And and there's really in the Amazon ecosystem, there's really not much fairness. It's mm-hmm. you do it the Amazon way. Amazon's going to arbitrate. They're they're going to. That's where the appeals are to Amazon. At the end of the day, you can either say I'm going to get screwed, or I'll go fight Amazon in court. What's that going to cost? You know. So that's why I say Amazon is. It's an unfortunate reality that a lot of us have to play with Amazon, but um, I don't necessarily see it as a fair thing. 
That, I so guess Dr- that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel you. That's that's he's the he's the bully at the schoolyard, right? I, I can yeah. completely understand that. So George says you got to read the description of the product. That helps too, and that that's I, I totally agree with that. But I, I kind of did cut you off on your process. So, uh, you know, Amazon is such a big player in the game. We gotta have to find ways to. M- create something that we can still make a profit. Here's the the beautiful thing about when you design your own your own stuff. You don't actually need to own huge percentage of market share for you to have a sustainable business that'll give you the life quality of life that you want. Amazon is a beast. But what are you doing to help people, yeah. you know, create their stuff and sell sell it at at scale for for the smaller size? Well, I think that a big quick point is if you have a real brand, in other words, you've done the work on brand development and people are going to Google and typing in your brand, there's no reason necessarily for you. Well, I wouldn't say none, but there's a big um, advantage to not being on Amazon at all because you can sell through your own website. You're not paying Amazon fees and dealing with the Amazon uh, ecosystem. Um, And so we really focus on that. Um, for us, to be honest, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, and in 20 years, I've made a heck of a lot of mistakes, gazillions of mistakes. And in the end of the day, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was this. I, I thought that, you know, if you start doing some wrong things, some bad things, you can turn it around by sort of hitting a home run. Mm. And the reality is it doesn't work that way in business. And so we try to hit singles, a lot of singles, singles every day, tiny improvements, just doing the right things. Um, we try to build websites that do the right things and improve them incrementally day after day after day. And then we will play in channels, um, Amazon and all the rest. Amazon, again, is the big one. Um, but we do get our clients into channels. But really, in the end of the day, we want it to be focused on their own website. And we want to provide an experience on that website that Amazon can't provide. Remember, Amazon gives you one page to sell a product. But if you have a product that needs a lot of product education and so on, you have a huge advantage off Amazon. You can build a whole website um, with quizzes and, uh, you know, con- all kinds of things, contests and newsletter signups. You control the customer data so you can remarket to them. You don't have that advantage um, in the Amazon ecosystem. So there is a lot you can do um, off Amazon, and that's really what we would like to focus on. So I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. But before I do that, um, you know, when we first started our podcast, I went out and had a, our, our website created because I, I thought that's how you were supposed to do it. I, so I got hosting and all that stuff. And so we own our own business bros content. So we create an RSS feed and we feed it out to other platforms, right? But we own, the, we host and own our own content. Nobody has control over where we, what we do. If, you know, if, if Spotify took us off or if anybody took us off, our content still lives on the internet. And that's kind of a good thing. So creating your own website and doing your own stuff is definitely, it definitely has its plus sides. On the flip side, you can spend a lot of money creating your own place, creating something that's super beautiful, and then nobody comes and sees it, right? And right. no, and, and traffic becomes an issue. Uh, when you're when you're faced with something like that, where somebody might have the greatest product, right? And then you guys help them develop the greatest presentation online possible, the greatest sales funnel that you can create, but they lack the traffic. How, how do we overcome that? Um, well, you go after either. Basically, what it comes down to is you have to advertise. 
And you can do that in several different ways. You can do the old way, which is SEO, search engine optimization, where you're getting free traffic from search engines. Uh, for us, because we don't find that to be very dependable, um, we focus a ton on the Google ads side of the world or the Bing or um, even Facebook advertising. Um, but we we tend to want to spend money on advertising. We want to get people to the website um, and we want to know exactly how much it costs to get them to a website, what the value of that person is, what it costs for us to get a purchase and so on. And it really becomes a numbers game. Mm. So for example, a typical product, let's say we have a, um, I'm thinking of one site that has a $70 average purchase. We're acquiring right now on Google, we're acquiring customers around $17. You have a 42% margin of the product. So $17, 42 of 70, wow, it's roughly $28. So if you acquire a customer for $17, you're cash flow positive right off the top, and then you're working on building a long-term relationship with them. Um, it's very, very numbers oriented. And we do the same thing in social. You know, some some products, obviously, you can work on the more pretty social media campaigns. You know, mm -hmm. for example, there's there's huge winners in women's clothes where they just get shared and you're working on shareable content. Um, but the same numbers game lives in the social world, too, with Facebook. You know exactly what it costs to acquire a customer and so on. So really, in the end of the day, that's what it comes down for us. It's just boring math, to be honest. Yeah. Data and analytics, right? And that's super exciting. No, but but when when you talk about the difference between like a Facebook ad, for example, and a Google ad, a Google ad is very search oriented. You know, the people that are clicking on your stuff are already already have an interest in exactly what it is you're looking for. Versus a Facebook ad, you're kind of guessing at what the interests are of your ideal customer and placing an ad in front of them. So the, the, the approach is a little bit different. Um, and I, I'm wondering, as you work with people, which one is having more of, of an effect? Because you're right. The for, for the Facebook one, it's almost like you're trying to create something that people want to share with everybody else versus the Google. You know they're already looking for that, right? It's, it's like the people walking into a store already. They're walking into the mall, and you're just kind of directing them to where they where you want them to go. Yeah, sure. Uh, so to to clarify a little bit, just throwing an ad on Facebook, probably not the best idea. But on the flip side, retargeting is extremely useful. For example, um, you retarget people that came to your website. Very easy to do this. Um, so once they go to your website, as you know, this happens all the time. You go to Facebook and you're seeing ads for stuff that you just saw on a website two minutes earlier. Mm -hmm. That usually tends to be highly profitable advertising. The other thing you can do is load your customer list. I hate to say this because some people will start wondering about privacy, but hell, privacy was gone a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> so you can load your your customer list to, to Facebook. Guess what? They'll run ads to them. These are the kinds of things that work. Um, you have to be ultra targeted, though, in the Facebook world. Um, you have the now Facebook wants you to do lookalike audiences and all these kinds of things. Um, and sometimes you can have success. For example, Let's say you're selling a particular kind of dog food. You could potentially target people that belong to some dog food or not a dog food group, but a, a dog group somewhere um, that might. Let's say if you were selling a vegan dog food, maybe there's a website or a group on Facebook for de vegan dog lovers or something. So you can sort of target um, specific interest in uh, in some ways on Facebook. But in general, I tend to stick with retargeting.
which means I want to show ads to people that have bought a product, looked at a product, uh, and so on. That makes that makes a lot of sense because you already know they're interested, and that happens to us all the time. I'm, you know, I bought this lighter the other day. I saw it on 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 my Instagram feed. Same thing. You supposedly never runs out of of match. You like strike it and it lights, strike it and it lights, strike it and it lights, right? And I kept seeing it over and over again. And eventually, I got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm getting that click, right? And then I I go through the whole sales process, but it showed up a number of times. That's what you're talking about retargeting, where it it kind of never goes away from your feed, and it's kind of freaky in a sense because we're like man is i was just on another website and all of a sudden it's on my facebook feed like what the hell is happening here my my, my phone's listening and it probably is but <laughs> but it's kind of freaking you out because it's showing up over and over again and it's by design yeah I, I don't know how long we'll have that advertising europe has pretty much nixed it um you <laughs> you can't do this in europe um the u.s is a little behind the curve on that um, but right now, yeah, I mean, if you visit a website and then you go to Facebook, that website and Facebook are almost certainly talking to each other. Um, and that's why those ads are following you around. You think you think it's going to be next? Do you think it's like going away or do you think it's going to get worse? Because I'm of the mindset like like you ever watch like my minority report and, and like you're walking through the mall and it's all reading your retinal scans and every ad is targeted to you specifically. Like I see the world going more that route, maybe not retinal scan, but we definitely are in the world of facial recognition. And if you're carrying your one and only GPS meter right here, your cell phone, I mean, that's a lot of information that, you know, if if you know, marketers have any say in what happens in the future, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, it, it could. I, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be a black market for data for sure. Hey, you probably saw that thing a couple months ago where they had used cell phone data to track where the president was going to the golf course because they were they were looking at the pings of the Secret Service people off cell towers. They were carrying cell phones and was going, you know, pinging off cell towers. And so they, the Wall Street Journal or somebody, New York Times, was able to basically trace the president's path, but that was all black market data. But in terms of privacy overall, I think we're moving in another direction. I could be wrong, but usually I think we sort of tail um, California and Europe. And um, Europe is definitely moving in that direction. California, I think, is moving in that direction as well to where privacy is becoming more of a concern. I could be totally wrong, but that's, hey Greg, if, if you read that security feature on like the the Washington Post, then imagine what we're really capable of. Because that's just what they're sharing with us, right? <laughs> I mean, imagine what they're really capable of. It's uh, something completely different. It's but, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's scary. But I mean, but at the same time, you know, I I I've always said I've always had this impression where I, I believe most people are good, and a lot of the data that they compile is really, uh, you know, you said it earlier. You're a capitalist, and if you're a marketer, for example, you take anything that's fun, anything that has eyes on it, and you destroy it with <laughs> with marketing and advertising, right? Like it's just what a marketer does. We take the cool stuff, and we we really you know sell the crap out of it until it's no longer cool to look at anymore uh so you know it, i i think that's really the agenda is how much can i sell to a particular person i think that capitalistic point of view is really where a lot of this data siphoning comes in it has other applications and i'm sure it can go in some major extreme ways if the wrong people get the wrong type of information but i think for the most part uh you know people are doing it on a positive sense yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's mostly innocent. I mean, if you're going on Facebook, you have to see some ads, right? They're not going to do no ads. So they might as well show you ads of stuff that you're interested in. Um, obviously, it can go too far, but 
I sleep at night. <laughs> exactly. Same here. Even if my camera's on, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. All right, Greg. Uh, yeah, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show, especially coming in a little bit early because I uh, I had something else that came up, and and you were you know gracious enough to come on a little bit earlier. Uh, ladies and gents, if you guys are interested in getting into the e-commerce space, maybe you have something that you want to get out into the marketplace and you need a little help. Uh, the website scrolling at the bottom. It's uh, just go to www.couplestonetrade.com, and uh, I'm sure Greg will talk to you about you know what it is that they offer, what it is that they do, and how they can help you get your product to market faster uh, and sooner with a higher profit margin than if you went straight to Amazon. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Don't go straight to Amazon. <laughs> Don't go. Don't click on them. <laughs> I got stuff delivering today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I get deliveries all the time, too. Exactly. It's just part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Ladies and gents, TGIF, so happy it's Friday. Uh, I normally so happy it's Thursday. That's S-H-I-T, by the way. But so happy it's Friday. <laughs> it's shift today. So, all, <laughs> ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys today. Peace. And we're thanks. out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation. Or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.